Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to A More Perfect Union. I'm Nick Ramasong. Joining me this week from our roundtable of regulars, we have higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, and from Beacon Hill, our representative, Jeff Roy. You're going to be tapped for quite a bit more today, Jeffrey. We want to hear from you. Not going and anywhere. It, <laughs> and as always, our station manager, Peter J. Good morning. Good morning. Well, another day, another indictment another trial. That's right. Today is Thursday for us, August the 3rd. August the 3rd. Yes. And it's been a busy, busy week. It has. This Just uh, two days ago on Tuesday, we have another indictment. Former President Donald Trump is now faced with some very tricky scheduling issues as he continues on both the campaign and civil and criminal defense tri- trails and civil and criminal defense trails. Now, in the latest indictment, we are presented with six unnamed co-conspirators who all bear rather an uncanny likeness to names that grabbed headlines during the birth and growth of the big lie, which is kind of the thrust of most of these indictments. Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, John Eastman, Jeff Clark, Ken Cheeseborough, and James Troupas, all names you're familiar with. I'm just amazed that the uh, pillow guy isn't in there. Anyway, oh, we can make room for Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike. Uh, now, I'm going to I'm going to step out here a little wide. I believe that this can all be solved. And that one solution on the government's part would be to offer Donald a backhander out of a secret government reptile fund to convince him to go into retirement with his love letter pen pal, Kim Jong Un. Oh, well. <laughs> well as I said, that that last bit might have been a bit much, but to quote the divine Edith Piaf, non je regrette rien, I regret nothing, just like Donald. Take it away, folks. <laughs> well, well, I <laughs> I think I think we probably, on a serious note, ought to consider that the government can do this. The same thing they did for Spiro Agnew, mm-hmm. which is to say, Donald, get the heck out of Dodge. Have a nice day. Have it somewhere Have a else. nice day. Don't mm-hmm. run for office again. We'll knock this down to one charge. You plead guilty to it and never run for public office again unless we bring all of this up again. And next time there won't be any offer. You just go in front of a jury and then they will probably uh, have the opportunity to send you to jail. Now, that's something that our American citizens don't realize is available to the mm-hmm. Justice Department. However, here's the caveat. And I'd love to hear from our attorney friend about this, because unfortunately for Donald, they're already setting up the parade barriers in Georgia mm. for him to be indicted on a state charge which would then lead to, if he is prosecuted, the inability of the Justice Department or anybody else to interfere and would also eliminate the opportunity for the next president of the United States, no matter who that might be, to give Trump a pardon. So he may end up in a Georgia jail if that be the desire of a jury. Mm. Your thoughts? Well, I'm not signing off on any of this unless he's asked (laughs) to leave the country. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was was it Greenland or Iceland he wanted to buy? Perhaps we Greenland. can send him to one of those. Yeah, yes. I think it was Greenland. Yes. Greenland. Okay. Couldn't understand when he was told uh, it wasn't up for sale. 
I, I, well, I love the idea of uh, him cutting some deal where he walks away. But good Lord, I would not trust him for one second to walk away. And I don't see that walking away is in his interest because as more indictments get revealed and as more charges get uh, laid down, his popularity goes through the roof. I have never seen anything like it. And I ask myself, what is it going to take for people to understand and believe that he is a horrific human being and does not belong leading the country that we all know and love. It's that basic. Please get out of Dodge, leave us all alone. I've been living for the past two and a half years without waking up with chest pain, without wondering what goofy headline I'm going to read, not having to worry about some stupid tweet. And uh, just when you think it's safe to get out go back into the water, uh, his popularity goes through the roof. And I, 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 I just wonder what country am I living in that this man is revered and loved and takes me back to a question I've asked several times uh, during this show. What people, what parents want their kid to grow up and be like Donald Trump? Are there any parents out there, and, and unfortunately we don't have a Donald Trump supporter on this uh, on this uh, show today, uh, I guess they were too afraid to uh, come out and uh, make that admission, uh, but they are certainly welcome to join us. They are uh, always invited. There are invites that go out to, right. uh, to a wide range. Yes. We did reach out. Yes. Hey, please, we need... We need someone to come out and speak to the other side. But, you know, it speaks to me that nobody came out of the corners uh, yes. to have that conversation. So, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys or Donald Trump. <laughs> A new song is in the making. I like it. Well, you know, <clears throat> it comes down to this. The, the conversations that are probably going on in his office are something like this right now. I need to raise more money. We need more indictments. Somebody come up with more indictments so I can raise more money. I have I have the best indictments. He can generate cash. He can do that. There's no two ways about it. If we could make him secretary of the treasury in perpetuity and just have him generate money, he'd find it. Well, now, getting lines, it away from him, that would be the issue. Lines in his most recent rallies like, I'm being indicted for you. I'm protecting you. The thing standing between the government and you is me just wow that's all i can say it's uh, yeah he's he's putting himself up as the caped crusader who is defending all of the people in the street from some invisible evil force and he's taking the heat and so on and so on it's, you know like jeff i am somewhat amazed and on a serious note this is a crisis to the extent that we need to compare it to the initiation of the Civil War. It's that serious. The only other incidents in our history where we had individuals who were so turned off by the American experiment and by their own personal grievances and circumstances that they literally seceded from the Union took arms against the Union, swore an oath to destroy the Union, were those who were part of the Confederacy, and that ended up in the bloodiest incident of war in our history because it was between American citizens. And again, this particular incident and this particular indictment needs to be taken that seriously. And unfortunately, we are in a time when the news media, and yes, I'm going to get on that stick again, when the news media, as well as the politicians, are taking this so lightly, and because the cycle keeps repeating itself and we hear the same lines over and over and over again, 
that we have to take a step back, take a deep breath, and realize that Donald Trump is not only an existential threat to our democracy, but he personifies at this point what all of us fear, which is that individual who can really rip us asunder. One third of this country, or pretty close to it, is in support of Donald Trump and his conspiracy and his threat of violence. Now, not all of that one third are in support of violence, but there is a large segment that when you look at the polls, for example, suggests that, yes, we ought to take up arms and violently reinstate Trump as our leader or to go to war over the right to vote him back in and then show disdain for those who are in opposition to that position. I can't say to our listeners strongly enough that this is something that you and everyone in Franklin and in our listening audience needs to pay close attention to. This man continues to subject us to his run for president. And here's another thought for us. What are the other candidates saying about him? There are only two that I can recollect that are really saying, folks, wake up. This man is on the verge of becoming a felon, a criminal, and yet you are still supporting him? Think again. And I would really love to hear your thoughts and comments about, well, where does that put us with respect to the electorate? And I agree, Jeff, that Hey, if you are in support of Trump, I really would like to hear and be able to ascertain your perspective. Seriously, I really would like to understand what it is that those citizens who are his supporters see not only in him, but also his approach. Let me remind you that in 2016, all right, as Donald Trump was running for president, he announced that he could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and not lose voters. He said emphatically and directly, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose voters. Yes. And boy, has history proven his point. There is nothing that this man can do and cost himself support and voters. That is extraordinary. That is troubling. And that is just so antithetical to what reaching a more perfect union is all about, because there is absolutely no way in the world that uh, that I could follow someone like him who is portrayed as a leader. A, a leader is someone who can get folks to follow them. He is no leader in any shape or sense of the word. He's pure rubbish. And uh, like you, Michael, please, if I'm missing something, help me, educate me. It's what very simple. redeeming qualities does this man possess? You don't need redeeming qualities when you are a tabloid, and I emphasize tabloid celebrity. There are no redeeming qualities on the front page of the tabloids. It's all about bombast. It's all about conspiracies. And there are people who live their lives in that world where there is no logic. There is just simply the outrageous story of the moment. And what is that world? Can you please describe that world for me? Yeah, I, I am missing something. What is that? I know. I, I know it exists, you know, coming right off the supermarket shelves, wherever. <laughs> but but we see these crazy headlines when we're checking out and. You know, I shake my head, but there are some people who are like totally into this stuff. And yeah. these people, these people, unfortunately, don't understand, you know, that Jeffersonian principle we talk about. An educated public, you know, is the best defense of democracy. And in what is raw emotion, they will just follow him. It doesn't matter. They would, you know, he's yeah, let me of generating the headlines and they, they go with that. Let me describe it for you, Jeff. I'll give you two examples. Uh, the first one is uh, one of his co-conspirators uh, at this point unnamed. Uh, but let's call it 
uh, Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. Uh, okay, yeah. so America's it, mayor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so Nick, help me because I think you've done some extensive research about this. But let's go back to when Giuliani uh, was in front of what was basically uh, a uh, a warehouse next door to a pawn shop, and he indicated that yes there has been a conspiracy to steal the election we have proof there are voters out there and then they invoked the name of some of the election workers two of whom the poor women have had their lives ruined mm-hmm. and as a result of that made all kinds of wonderful tabloid uh uh, expose kinds of stories about these two ladies. And when I say ruined their lives, literally ruined their lives. Well, yeah, they had to move. They had to go into hiding. Yeah. And they, they so work. these two ladies are now suing not only Giuliani, but a number of others for defamation and rightly so. So here's the second part of the description, Jeff. Giuliani then goes into court and now he says, in the defamation suit. Oh, I lied. Mm-hmm. What I said about you was not true, but it's protected it, by the first amendment and right, public speech, speech because all I was doing was making hyperbolic kinds of pronouncements, which everybody knew were false. So I'll admit, yes, I lied, but and any reasonable not- person would know that. Uh, Yes. And any reasonable. And here and here's the real catcher. There is a scintilla, if not at least maybe a couple of inches in the bucket of truth around what Giuliani is saying regarding his being protected by the First Amendment. I hope it's not enough to stop uh, a jury from saying, Giuliani, this is still defamation because that's still out there. But now he has admitted that. That's what it looks like, Jeff. It looks like people going out lying, making all kind of false accusation, the media picking it up, some people believing it, some people acting on it, lives are ruined, reputations are destroyed. And yet when we get to court, there seems to be some legal basis for protection of those uh, tabloid idiots. That's what it looks like. Now, that's only one example, but please, let's react to this. You can't yell fire in a movie theater. <laughs> you know, that's the, the uh, example yeah. that's given in law school. Right. Uh, that's uh, that's going back to Oliver Wendell Holmes and, and his pronouncement on... Uh, what is uh, the difference between protected and unprotected speech? Yeah, the First Amendment is, is, is very strong, but like any other amendment, it does have its limits. Um, I like to say to folks when they uh, want to try to understand the limits of one of these event uh, amendments, I always say to them, your right to swing your fists ends at the tip of my nose. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't have the right to falsely accuse or falsely make statements about someone and ruin their life. That's not a right protected by the Constitution. The person who's a victim of your vicious and savage lies and deceptive behavior has a right to privacy, has a right to their own freedom and their own liberty, and that's protected just as well as your right to speak. So we have that uh, that line that's that's not very clear, but it's a line that's established for the protection of everyone. And these victims of these uh, horrible lies uh, by Giuliani, they weren't public figures as that's defined under the law. They're private citizens doing their own work and their own job, and they're entitled uh, to their own uh, reputation. I I heard a great closing argument in a a defamation case where the lawyer was describing what it's like to go to a wake, and you see the body uh, in the casket, and everybody's making these comments about how good the person looks 
in the casket, but they are dead. They are they are gone from this earth, and no matter how good they look, the life has been taken from them. And and he was trying to articulate when in a in a defamation case how you know they may look good and they don't look like they're injured, but they're dead inside. Because someone has stolen their soul, stolen their liberty, stolen their their reputation, and and we have a system designed to compensate those who have been harmed, whether it be physically, emotionally, however, and we need to protect that right. And for a foolish Giuliani to go into a court and say, what I did was absolute bullshit, but it's protected bullshit, is the definition of insanity. And we like to think of that more as unexpurgated male bovine fecal matter, just, <laughs> Thank just you. to be technical. Thank you so much. You know, it, it reminds I was playing golf the other day and I hit a horrible shot. And, and uh, one of the folks I was playing with, he said, Jesus, Jeffrey, you moved everything on that shot except your bowels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, good. Well, we hit uh, a peak there. I'm uh, not higher uh, low. It was uh, not a good shot. It was uh, not my finest. Uh, oh, golf swing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I this say conversation our, brought me back to it. Yes. I want to say to our producer, Keith, Keith, if this is not edited and our listeners are have just heard that, I must say, that you know that that's the high point of the show folks right there yes. you know well it's a it point is. it's a point <laughs> yes it's all it's is all it a high point or, or is it a high pal a uh, pile. We're, 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 we're trending towards a more perfect oh. union and yes, uh, we are. golf is a great american sport uh and uh right. You it can know, be an equalizer, that's for certain. That, that's right. Well, I I do like that analogy, though, because these two ladies, as well as others, they're not the only ones, but there are a number of people who have not only been maligned by Trump and his, uh, his minions and the people who went out for him pronouncing these kinds of things, but... Uh, but you're right. They had their lives stolen from them. They had their homes destroyed. They had their ability to make a livelihood on a uh, uh, on a job that they volunteered for. Now, that's the real crux of it, that these ladies were volunteers. They were poll workers. And many of our listeners out there, especially if you're in Franklin and you go to our central voting location, all of those people in there the ones who are checking you in, the ones who are giving you the ballot, the ones who are checking you out, even the folks who are helping you to sort of uh, get to the right precinct and uh, to exit properly. These are all volunteers. These are folks day. who are working for you in this community as a volunteer. And so I can only imagine the the pain and suffering that these two ladies down in Georgia had to go through and suffer through. Another example of what this looks like are the folks who are, uh, when they're interviewed, and now let's get to the media aspect of this, Jeff. When you see folks, for example, in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, and you will have the reporters on the street and they will ask about, well, what do you think about your representative? Well, she speaks for me. She is uh, an embodiment of the problem with this country. In, and she's pointing it out to folks uh, that we are citizens are not respected, that there is a deep state. And all of these particular points of view are leading us again albeit most of them very false. I will freely admit that the IRS and I have our back and forth, and I think that they're out to get me. But, you know, other than that, most of the contentiousness in this country is really at the federal level. There was a report just the other day that said the majority of our citizens all like their local government. Kudos for you, Jeff, and stuff for keeping that illusion alive. And then there are those who believe that their state governments are doing well. Uh, I think the report said that there are there's not one single governor of the 50 states that's underwater. All of them have approval ratings that are above 50 percent, which means then that many of our citizens see the problem at the federal level. Atomic uh, we, fever. 
Yeah, yeah. Now we can blame that on Jefferson and Madison and those who who really had this furor for, you know, the role of the federal government. But, you know, I think that that's misplaced as well. And much of this has come about since 2016 with regard to Trump and his attitude toward the federal government being his personal plaything. Weren't we draining the swamp? Uh, I don't remember the pipes being laid and stuff in order to get the water from one place or the or the muck from one place to another. And I think all that has happened is, is that Trump put his finger in it. He didn't like it and stuff. So he just talked about it. He never really got in and did anything. But again, I agree with you, Jeff, that, you know, you know where are we? And let's go back to, again, the uh, the only example in terms of what was happening prior to the Civil War, when we had all of the folks who were clamoring about the economic state of the country, the fact that there were rights being taken away uh, from those who wanted to enslave by those who were in the Northeast. And then there was this, again, grievance that you folks in the North are about to come down and destroy our way of life. I hear that as I travel, especially in the South, over and over and over again, uh, which leads to this piece of let's control the libs and the labels and the vitriol around that, I think, is a real problem. Well, I'm fascinated by the fact that Trump is such a creature of habit that he lost the lawsuit with, who is it, E. Jean Carroll, the woman that he assaulted in New York. Correct. He went on CNN a week later in an interview and calls her a nut job or all the other stuff, et cetera, and basically defames her again. She turns right around and sues him again for another 10 million. And well, guess what? <laughs> the evidence is pretty clear. And, you know, she might very well, you know, win the second round as well. Uh, so I think that there is just something in his DNA that cannot cannot understand that there are boundaries that there are barriers on each side of the road uh and and that it's in his nature that's it it's, in... it's all pure emotion mm -hmm. yeah and i think he he saw on television that uh you know he could take this even further when he was the apprentice that you know <laughs> miserable well, piece of waste well, of that, was, time. that was that was that was the crafting of his celebrity mm -hmm. and yep. you know back then he was touting himself as the highest paid personality on television mm -hmm. which was clearly not true but it was just a case of he had cut a deal with you know the executive producers of survivor to produce this program and ultimately converted it into the celebrity apprentice to keep it alive on sunday nights and he was doing the show basically for free uh, even though he claims he was being so highly paid. So he was, technically speaking, one of the executive producers, which is a way of saying you get some part of the net proceeds, but it was all carefully orchestrated to cultivate an image, uh, which you know, obviously was as false as anything he's ever had to say. But there are people who are still addicted to that. There are people who remember that. And that is their one only surviving, ongoing, and durable impression of Donald Trump as the businessman, world beater, world leader, uh, and defender of what they see to be whatever the righteous cause happens to be that, that in their imaginations, benefits them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Donald. Ha! Well said. <laughs> mm. And let's not forget that... We also have a couple of other events. The this particular conspiracy, the one that is calling him from the January 6th debacle as one of the conspirators who organized it. But we also have the other six co-conspirators. And again, Nick, I don't know if you if you went into further detail, there's at least uh, I think it's uh, uh, what's the gentleman's name? Green. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, the gentleman who basically put together this whole conspiratorial legal premise. Oh, Eastman. Eastman. I mean, I'm I sorry. Eastman. Yes. Eastman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying, well, it was just the theory. 
Yep. And I can't be serious because I'm not a constitutional scholar. I just put together the theory and others who were agreeing with me sort of bolstered me up. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times, and Jeff, you've seen this, and sure, all of you has probably seen this. You go in the court and you have this lowly street criminal who says, well, you know, it was just sitting outside of the store. And, uh, you know, I went by, yes, I picked it up. My intent was to take it home with me and stuff, but I really wasn't seriously trying to steal. I just said, hey, why not just pick it up and move it? Mm. Uh, it looked like it was out there for free to me. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm at a the, loss for words. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what <laughs> happens quite often when faced with the, the seeming, but would to, to most people would seem to be an insane bit of reasoning, but you can, you can twist that into something just about any way you wish, particularly if you have a facility with words. Oh um, my goodness! Where, 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 uh, Donald does not have, uh, but he's got people who do. But then you've got someone like insistent. I want to oh, yeah. point out here. I want to point mm. out here too. You're touching on a key point. First of all, let's talk about exactly what the indictment entails. The indictment is written in very, very plain English. There's there's not much legalese in it, and it was designed basically for easy reading. And I went through it all. So the January 6th indictments, of which there are four, conspiring to defraud the United States, a simple sentence, conspiring to obstruct an official proceeding, obstructing a congressional proceeding, and finally, conspiracy against rights. Now, breaking all that down briefly, a lot of this, there will be some lawyers who will argue that it goes to state of mind. Was he really conspiring? Was he, was his, but. When you drill down into the indictments, what you discover is that in each and every single one of these charges in the indictments, they put forward several examples where Trump dictates, commands, and executes actions that move towards the January 6th riots in the clearest intent without any ambiguity. They really worked to keep the charges here fairly simple and to make sure that they are shored up as strongly as possible by actual events that they can demonstrate in video, in audio, and so on. So it's actually a very, very strong case. Now, against that strong case, there will be the issue of assembling a jury. Now, given that you know, 20 to 30 percent of the populace are walking around in sycophantic adoration of Trump. We're going to have this difficulty of assembling a truly impartial jury. I mean, what do we do? Do we try the thing in New Zealand? I don't think so. You know, there's Back no to Greenland. Greenland. Well, yeah, there you go. Sure. You know, Denmark can lend, rent it to us. That's what they can do. And uh, but the idea that we could find impartial jurors who are going to take all of the facts as they are, facts, weigh them to get to an unambiguous decision where there's no doubt that what he did was wrong and he can be convicted and found guilty. There, there is a really strong case. This is, this is like the irresistible force up against the immovable object. The, you know, the irresistible arguments against the immovable minds. And it doesn't take a lot of immovable minds in the jury to, to scuttle this thing. So I, I really have some concerns here. I think one of the other things also that I've, I've heard in the past day or so is that the calendars for a lot of the other indictments and cases that are pending could be moved around to sort of fast track the January 6th proceedings, which I think is a good thing. Because the January 6th proceedings are federal. And if he made it into the presidential office again, that means that he could, yes, pardon himself. But if you have these state charges that are still rolling along afterwards and he takes office, he can't do anything about that. So that really becomes a really fascinating discussion to have as well. Yeah. And one point for our listeners, I think the conspiracy charges bring with them 
the inability to run for public office if you're found guilty. Correct. So if the trial were held prior to the election and he was found guilty, he would then be automatically ineligible to run for president. Um, and that's one of the reasons why his defense team wants to delay, 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 because if that verdict is not out prior to the November election, then he still could run, albeit if he was found guilty afterwards. And he, let's say he then was able to take office. And there's some question between whether or not if he were elected in November, wouldn't take office until January and then found guilty, let's say in December, would uh, he yes. then be able to uh, ascend to the office? And that's where we get into the justice pronouncement of, you know, you can't indict a sitting president, which I think is a ridiculous piece. Well, he's not uh, a sitting president yet. Uh, he, he's, true. The president, he's the president elect. president elect. So there's a lot of questions that come up, and I'm sure that at some point in the future, if those particular issues uh, present themselves, we will debate those ad nauseum here on this program as well. But I'm also concerned that our citizens, given that he has the opportunity, if he does continue to proceed to try to run for president, he has the opportunity to really destroy and divide this country. Because don't forget, those who vote for him would then be making this affirmation, I don't care. Correct. And, when and that's he... hard for me to swallow. That is absolutely, as a citizen of this country, hard for me to take that someone would be looking at a person who is indicted and potentially uh, with all of the evidence that's out there guilty of these charges, albeit our country, we are presume innocence until proven guilty. Uh, but with all of the things that he said and done out in the public sphere, I still don't get it. And again, hopefully if you're listening folks uh, and you really want to help me and Jeff out, uh, you know, and you're a Trump supporter, please share your perspective with us, even if it's in the comment section. No, I, I, and I think a lot of this is others like himself who are looking to piggyback on him, get their power bases and get, you know, they're, they're going to gather some a following, you know, just tagging along with Trump. And I think they find out that, you know, he's he flies solo. And if you start to threaten his base, his control of his own base, he will he will send you to the dogs. He will take care of you. It's it's it, we, a, a point that was brought up, you know, about, you know, did Trump actually say something or was he musing? You know, always reminds me of uh, Henry II and Thomas a Beckett, you know, where Henry was uh, rumored to have just kind of muttered, well, no one rid me of this turbulent priest. And then two knights go out and take care of that turbulent priest. How loud did Henry II say that? How, right. what was his direct, did he make direct eye contact? I think that's, that's where we're, we're, we're kind of leading is just how forceful is Donald Trump? Well, I think when he's, he's got the bit in his mouth, he, he doesn't give up. He's a dog with a bone and he will throw his head around. He'll thrash that bone until it is gone. So I don't think he's ever muttered anything under his breath that was a, a thought that kind of rattled around in his head. The notion of you know everything that we've been through going all the way back to 2016 and and what we've witnessed, you know, it's historic. It's you know, it's it's hysterical and historical all at the same time. And here in Massachusetts, I wanna I wanna get local for a little while here. Here in Massachusetts, uh for quite a while. There has been on the Massachusetts state website something called ethics training. And you can go to mass.gov and type in ethics and, and search for that. And there is a full training course. The training course takes a little more than an hour. And what it does is it reviews all of the ways and circumstances by which someone in public service might find themselves in a compromising position and how to recognize that before the fact and how to behave and how to respond ethically in what can be awkward or or questionable situations. And I want to point out some of the things from the index. I printed out the entire 
thing, and I took the test recently because it's changed uh, substantially in the past year for greater clarification. They've updated it quite a bit, and it's very well done. So if you really want to understand the nature of ethics and how they relate to the January 6th proceedings and other things, I strongly recommend that you visit the state website. It's it's a great opportunity to know a couple of things. Number one, within the state, there is caring about how we do things in Massachusetts. And public servants in Massachusetts respect the ethics test, take the ethics test, understand how it guides their conduct and decorum. And so here are some of the items that are in the actual uh, index for the test. Types of conflicts, because this is what this is about, conflicts of interest. Bribes, gifts, and gratuities. You know, what does that mean? And under that as a subheading, corrupt gifts and bribery. Another element is self-dealing and nepotism. When do you take advantage of your office for your own personal gain and your family's gain? Then there's improper use of your position Disclosure and misuse of confidential information. Oh, gee, who do we think of in that one? Divided loyalties. Financial interests in public contracts and jobs. And then finally, former employee conflicts of interest. In other words, conflicts of interest can continue on after you've left an official office. You know, if you seek to then turn around and influence those who are your successors in office. Uh, And so it's quite thorough. And all of the things that I listed there, all of them, 100% of those things, we could probably come up with a bushel basket of examples for each one of those things that apply to the former president. (laughs) And, you know, shocker of shockers, there are people who are still scratching their heads saying, what's he talking about? They're talking about Trump, my hero. Uh, And I, yeah, like you, Dr. Mike, I'm, I'm stunned and shocked at where we are. And I don't know what you do about that because it's all emotion. There's no logic to it. There isn't. And because there's no logic to it, there's no logical argument to be made. It's like a cult. And, you know, the means by which you deprogram somebody having fallen victim to a cult are probably, you know, something that needs to be considered here. Well, I wish that uh, we could uh, have given the Massachusetts state ethics test uh, to our uh, former federal official who occupied that uh, that role, but unfortunately, uh, he's not required. Uh, a few other tidbits that uh, in Massachusetts, all uh, employees are required to take that test, including. Uh, members of the legislature and yours truly, I do have to take that test every session. I don't get a, a one and done. Uh, each time I'm elected, I have to take that test uh, again and again. Uh, it's a nice refresher and reminder of the things we can and can't do. Uh, I'm not insulted that I have to uh, to do that. But, uh, you know, it you go out there and you you think that some of these things are common sense and you think that these are things that need not be said, but then you look around and you watch what takes place and you say, oh my God, what were they thinking when they did that? <laughs> um, but hey, that's life in the big city. And that's and up and down. Town. Uh, yeah, and in and here in Franklin, I think I think that's up and down the chain too. I think not only do the legislative members have to take that, uh, but all state employees and consultants. Uh, and I also believe too. I know I had to take that when I was a lobbyist in uh, in uh, uh, Louisiana, uh, and when I was share a your lobbyist, score with us, please uh, uh, share your score. Yeah. Oh, hey, listen, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. I won't say in which direction, but it was absolutely perfect. <laughs> I, I of, of of the questions that were asked, I will admit I got one question wrong, and the reason for it is RTFQ2X. Read the full question twice. <laughs> with, with, and because with the F, I didn't, didn't with the read F the full question uh, twice, I misunderstood being, yeah. the question. Yeah, yeah. With full for the interpretation of the F being variable. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. There's that. Yeah, there's that. 
Well, the it, well, the wonderful part too is that I and I recall these incidences in uh, when I was a lobbyist in uh, Louisiana. One of the things that was absolutely very clear was what you could do in terms of gifting uh, a legislative member. And I got to tell you, the uh, uh, the real key here is this: as an individual, if I take a lot. Uh, a legislative member out to dinner, I, as a lobbyist, would never pay their bill. They have to pay their own bill because I mm-hmm. had to receipt it. And then when I receipted it, I had to put who I was paying for, if I was paying for anyone in the party. Uh, and sometimes our members would be there. Uh, I was the executive director of the Louisiana Association of Educators. So I would then, if I'm taking our members with us, I would put all of our members down as, yes, I'm picking up their bill. But I would never put down the lobbyists and would be true the, to that. Uh, the the, uh, the government official. because Yes, I would never uh, put the government official down as one of the people I'm paying for. And I would never pay for them. And you uh, cannot even buy in Massachusetts, you can't buy a cup of coffee, you can't buy a stick of gum for a, a legislator. There are absolute restrictions on what lobbyists can do. So I'm glad to hear that uh, you adhered to that rule there, Michael. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, you know? Absolutely. I mean, if there was a coffee lying around in the in the in the box that I brought back with our members and a legislative member picked it up, I mean, you know, hey, there's nothing I can do about that. You tell uh, them to put it down. Yeah, yeah that's right. I, I could tell them to put it down, but typically and stuff. All right. If they wanted to steal it out of the box, let them steal it out of the box. That's not on me. <laughs> I was only in proximity, Your Honor. <laughs> exactly. But in all seriousness, I think again, if 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 we look at that uh now, there are workarounds. And here is where we run into problems, folks. Because if I were to hold a fundraiser now for that same legislative member and I paid for everything. I paid for all of the crawdads and I paid for the potatoes and I paid for the corn and I paid for, uh, you know, all of the drinks and everything else as a fundraiser that I could do to, again, certain limits. Those limits were enough for me to be able to hold a good party. Uh, and then I could ask people to contribute to the campaign fund for through the LAE for that particular legislative member. Now, does the legislative member have to be in attendance? No. Would they typically be in attendance? Yes. Could I also hold a uh, an informational session for a group of legislative members and pay for it? The answer there, again, is yes, I could do that, again, within certain limits. And here's where we run into problems, because there are ways for lobbyists, and trust me, there are tons of attorneys in Washington, D.C. that work for these lobbying firms that understand how to get around these particular pieces. And therein lies where we as citizens don't get an opportunity to sort of scrutinize. We know what it is, for example, that the National Education Association gives with regard from its uh, with respect to its political pact to a legislative member or to a presidential or uh, state candidate. But the thing we don't know is whether or not uh, the association, how it went out and raised that money. And here is where I think Donald Trump does a wonderful, masterful job because he can go out personally and ask for all of these donations where organizations can't do that. And yet he can get millions and millions of dollars into his coffers. And the real key is the restrictions around how these associations and organizations pay for or distribute their political campaign funds and how Donald uses his are two different entities. So here's something for us to watch out for. Donald Trump is raising money. He's raising money for his campaign. He's raising money for his legal defense fund. 
And the question is, can he move money from his campaign fund to his legal defense fund if necessary? Uh, which is another travesty of this whole list of indictments that we're going through. Your thoughts? Well, I think one of the things about the Legal Defense Fund is that even as people are writing out their tiny checks or clicking on their MasterCards online, they're making a choice between those two things, which means that even before the fact, before the money flows in, there's a public decision made individually by the millions of people who do this to move it towards his Legal Defense Fund. So the Legal Defense Fund is just, in point of fact, already siphoning money off of what would normally be the general election contributions he would get. And he has nothing to do with that other than to encourage them to donate to the Legal Defense Fund as though it's part of the election effort. Now, to the extent that he's already spent supposedly $40 million in his defense, um, and I know that there are recent reports saying that his election fund is now coming up short, wanting for money. And if all of this continues and these and these legal fees, wherever they're going, uh, end up more rapidly draining the coffers for his election, it's going to weaken his opportunity to get the word out through you know his paid advertising. And it may, in fact, have some negative repercussions on his ability to run through the primary and through the general, particularly. Uh, he may find himself cash-starved as he goes through the general, uh, and all of these court proceedings begin to rise up like crazy. So that's going to be fascinating to watch how the moneyed aspect of this thing plays out going through late spring and summer of 24. He just may come up short and not be able to, to make a big enough bang all the way to the November election. Well, uh, I think we'll close now. Another more perfect union hour has flown by, and we have to say goodbye until next week. I mean, I mean we've stressed it several times during this particular uh, broadcast. If you would like to weigh in on our discussions, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. If you enjoyed our discussion, let us know, please. If you disagree, that is all the more reason to let us know. We need both sides. Now, you can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online at our website, wfpr.fm. For our guests, as always, our representative on Beacon Hill, Jeff Roy, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Excuse me, Nick, before we leave, I would like to say, uh, take a point of personal privilege. Today is August 3rd when we're taping this, and today mm -hmm. is my deceased wife's birthday. She would have been 70 years old today. Oh. I just want to send out a uh, a happy birthday to uh, Sweetheart, wherever you are, and I hope you're still uh, looking down on us with joy and love. And we would have been someplace in the Caribbean if she had been alive today. Uh, trust me, uh, but uh, but I did want to say that. So I'm glad uh, to finish have up, my friend. What's <laughs> glad to have the interruption, Mike. What, what's your wife's name? Uh, Deborah Jean. Deborah, our thoughts are with you. Yeah. Shaw Walker and sweetheart, I miss you dearly. Thank you for that, Michael. Appreciate it. And with our station manager, Peter J., and also our long-suffering, very patient, and soon-to-be-overworked engineer, Keith Palmieri. Thank you all. I'm Nick Remesong. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.